Hey, it's Danielle back once again with another episode of Tales from Southern Indiana. And again, it's been a little gap of time since uh, I've gotten a chance to speak uh, with you and uh, all kinds of reasons for that that aren't really worth going into, except maybe for future episodes as they shake it together, you know. And well, meanwhile, we've uh, <laughs> we've added some other countries to the listener- listenership here. We, The latest uh, country to show up on the list uh, in the anchor statistics is Bangladesh. And again, I, I just have to believe these are accidental uh, views or listens, but uh, if there is somebody out in Bangladesh that's listening to us and wondering about Southern Indiana, well, you know, we're probably just as strange uh, a place as you could imagine, and um, maybe it's, uh, it's, it's good for a smile now and then. I thought today what might be fun would be to take a tour up and down Main Street as it existed back when I was a kid, which would be around 1964, 1965. Um, And I thought we'd start at my father's furniture store. My father, for several years, had a furniture store on Main Street. And the building that it was in, as a kid, I loved. It was a huge building that had been a grocery store. And it had an enormous back room, a storage room. And furniture that uh, my father ordered, at least the new ones, would come in these big boxes. And he'd throw them all in the back room. He wouldn't tend to clear them out for maybe a month or two. And I'd uh, take a little knife and cut through all sorts of tunnels through the cardboard. And it'd be like a whole special world that I would hang out in. He had an ancient cash register that was there from the old grocery store days that uh, was too heavy for anybody to get around to throw out, so I got to play with that too. And it was a, um, my gosh, the, he had to climb way, way up on the top of a tall ladder to change those neon fluorescent uh, lights uh, that uh, were up in the ceiling. The furniture store itself was successful while he sold used furniture. My father was a good horse trader, and he was good at basically bargaining for people who were selling large quantities of furniture, like an estate sale, that sort of thing, the equivalent of it, whatever it was in southern Indiana at the time. And these pieces of used furniture would come in, and I would just be fascinated with these things, too. There'd be refrigerators with belt-driven motors sitting on top of them, and I never saw anything like that before. Uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, you could look through and maybe find old uh, uh, postcards or matchbooks covers and back in the old days there used to be all sorts of entertaining match uh, matchbook covers and uh, even books that you could look them all up in if you wanted to um, odd things people do because they didn't have a whole lot of other things to do and had a lot of time on their hands so the furniture store was about in the middle of main street and as you as, as you took a left uh, when you came out, the very next store was Walton's Grocery Store. I've talked about corner grocery stores before in the podcast. This one is a real special one, though. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an elderly couple who owned it, and they had a very nice um, sort of meat section. And uh, you could get uh, very special cuts of meat that they would pay a lot of attention to in terms of you telling them what you wanted. And it wasn't a busy place. You were always guaranteed to pretty much be the only customer they had whenever you went. And they made uh, not much money, but uh, they kept themselves busy and they got to, you know, to have, uh, you know, contact with uh, people who were fairly friendly. And I remember going over there a lot when I was a kid and I got my first saxophone. I was in fifth grade. I went over and showed it to them and hurt their ears a little bit uh, trying to play the scale. Um, Fortunately, they were probably a little bit hard of hearing like I am now, and maybe it didn't bother them as much. And as they wandered on down, uh, there was the um, one of the clothing stores in town. It was the only store 
that when you get junior high, if you were in seventh grade and you had to take phys ed, which I hated, um, it was the only place that you could buy athletic supporters. I'm not sure why they weren't sold elsewhere, or maybe there wasn't a big demand for them other than seventh grade phys ed students. But uh, that's where you had to go to get athletic supporters and white socks, if you didn't have them already, um, for your, uh, your gym class. Um, and by the way, you know, I, I, one of the reasons I hated phys ed was because of athletic supporters. They had these very, very large elastic bands, and some of the meaner kids loved to just come running at you and grab one of those things and run down to the next town with it if they could and let go of it, and it was just about uh, bisect you by the time it hit back on your skin. But I digress. Um, toward the end of the Main Street was uh, the... Uh, the feed and grain uh, operation, every little town uh, in the rural parts of the country had those, uh, and uh, I never really knew what went on there. I didn't have anything to do with feed and grain. I didn't have anything to do with farms in general as a kid. All I knew about farms was when you're on one, watch where you step. But at any rate, um, at the very end across from the feed and grain store was, tried, it was called Pride Moore's Trading Post, and the fellow who owned it um, everybody called him Stoop. I think it was because he sat on the front step, which would have been called a stoop back then. And he sat there pretty much all day, because not many people came into the trading post. Um, but uh, I did as a kid, because they had those wonderful used comic books that we've spoken about before, and just all kinds of other little odds and ends. If you wanted old military equipment, they had it, uh, old knives, and uh, even old books that uh, nobody really had paid any attention to for a long time. Um, I remember picking up one that uh, it was an early version of what passed as a dictionary before there were standardized dictionaries. It sort of chose certain words and it seemed to put more emphasis on how to pronounce them than on learning what they meant. So that, you know, you could at least sound like you knew something even if you really didn't understand the word itself. Now coming back up to uh, uh, the other side of Main Street, there was a it was a, a great old-fashioned hardware store. These were the places where you bought, you know, the, your, your, your children, the, the, the uh, red flyer uh, wagons to pull when they're, when they're little and, uh, and, and all sorts of implements that I would have no idea what to do with now, such as, um, well, fence posts, I guess fence post sort of digger things. You know, they're big, long things. You, drug, you know, hit the ground and you pinch some earth in them and pulled it out. Uh, I've never had to have a, didn't really have need for a fence post, I guess, uh, in my life. But back then, people did, and they bought those sorts of things there, uh, along with other implements that uh, uh, we might not recognize anymore. Hardware stores back then had a certain smell, and it wasn't like some big modern hardware store, which sort of maybe smells like new wood that's been cut or something like that, uh, or all the different uh, maybe vinyl products that would be sold. The old-fashioned hardware stores had these rich smells of God knows what this stuff was. You don't even know where it came from. I think part of it had to do with the smell of the floors. The floors were wood, and they had this sort of decades-old grease on them that had just built up over time and uh, uh, had its very own characteristics. You didn't want to get too close to it, but it was interesting to look at. Um, and as we moved up, uh, we passed, of course, the two little banks uh, that... Uh, aren't there anymore and wouldn't be there in lots of towns. Little bitty banks didn't have much of a life after a certain point, but back then they did. And again, when you went to one, you would be maybe the only person the teller had seen for an hour or so. And so there'd be time to chat. 
And you'd see the folks uh, really taking an awful long time to do things like pay their bills. You know, people, if you had to pay, pay various utility bills or what have you, if you owe different stores, you'd go to them on foot one at a time. And you'd bring your, your little bill and you'd check or what have you. And you would, um, you know, you would sort of catch up on the news of their part of the world. And the hardware store it might be, you know, what people were, you know, were tending to put aside uh, as they were getting ready to do some canning Canning actually involved fruit jars as well. I'm not sure whether they used the term canning for that, but uh, but it did. And um, I just thought that you know, there was just a, a, a feeling of wonder when you went into, as a little kid, when you went into one of these stores. They seemed huge. They wouldn't seem so big now, I suppose, if I went there, uh, even though they don't exist anymore. But if they did, the dime store, five and dime. The, of course, every little town had a five and dime store. The one there, again, seemed enormous to me, and I couldn't believe as a kid the number of things that it had that were quite fascinating, not just things like clothes and uh, maybe, uh, uh, well, I don't know, if, you know, school supplies and whatnot, but interesting little toys and doodads and uh, uh, things at uh, Halloween time. This is where you went to buy your costume if you had enough money to do that. A lot of people still made their costumes back then because it it wasn't uh, easy for folks to scrape a penny or two by to buy stuff like that, but that's where they had them. And then, wandering down, there was another clothing store. It's kind of a tough town to support two clothing stores. This was a nicer clothing store, which is probably why it went broke. The thing was, <laughs> if you wanted to be successful in retail in a little town like Mitchell, you needed to sell stuff that was cheap, and it was more important that it be cheap than if it was particularly good. My father, when he sold appliances, they were... They didn't tend to be the finest appliances. They were appliances that would sort of be, you know, the off-brand in today's uh, lexicon. They had real brand names, and you bought them, and you were, you know, proud to have one. But they weren't the most expensive because folks didn't have that much money. Um, and nevertheless, uh, people did somehow find the, the ability to scrape some stuff together to have kind of the basic things that we would all hope to have. Although washing machines was interesting back then. My father sold mostly what were called ringer washers. Now, they were electric. They, there, there was a, a tub, and if you plug the, the thing in and you turn it on and you put water in the tub or it fills up somehow, it would churn back and forth and make a real sloshy noise. But the actual part of the clothing that you wring the water out with wasn't a spin cycle on your dryer. It was a ringer, and you, you stuck a piece of the clothing in through these rollers and you cranked the thing and they came out mostly free of water. Uh, you had to be careful because you know you could stick your finger in there too and then you'd, you'd have a discolored clothing item and a trip to the local doctor's office which we've spoken about before and you didn't want to do that because you might come out of there worse than you went in. At any rate, um, wandering down past that store was the office of the newspaper, the Mitchell Tribune. And you could go in there pretty much if you just wanted to visit with people. They had one of these old offset printing presses that you had to put the little type in by hand. And the newspaper came out and looked like it was something that was published in 1860 or so. And it was a huge thing, full of virtually nothing. But with people on, with a lot of time on their hands, they read every single word in it. And, uh, and I, would, I would often go in and speak to the owner of the newspaper, who was the brother of astronaut Virgil Grissom. And it's sort of mostly what I remembered about him. The, uh, 
Actually, he offered me a job when I got out of college um, to be uh, a reporter half the time and to sell ads the other half. The notion was I would sell enough ads to make enough money to pay myself something. It wasn't really a bad concept, but at the end of the day, they couldn't go through with the bargain uh, because it just became apparent that it was impossible to sell enough ads for that paper to pay for a reporter. So Juanita Mosier didn't have any competition and continued to be the only person who wrote every single article in the paper. Crossing the street was um, the original furniture store that my father was a competitor with. And that furniture store was, it was run by a guy who was very, very smart and understood how you could make a buck in a small town like that. And while my father was able to compete with them for a while selling used furniture, the second Nixon, Nixon recession just put a little too much pressure on it and that uh, closed my father's operation. But that other furniture store lasted a good bit longer. and. Uh, you know, experience uh, pays out for something uh, in terms of understanding how you can survive economically in a place where almost nobody has a dime. Moving back along uh, the uh, uh, the street, I mean, back toward my uh, my father's store, of course, we had two barber shops, uh, and only one of which I ever went to. The other one, I don't know who went to, except my father. My father liked to go to that place. And I never knew anybody else who went. Um, the one I went to was the more popular one, and not just because there was gambling there, uh, as we've spoken about, but also because there were at least enough customers, like sort of on the Andy Griffith show, you could see some people to talk to. And they had interesting magazines. They had magazines about guns and hunting and um, uh, agricultural implements, I guess, and uh, things that you wouldn't normally see in a waiting room these days, um, at least uh, not around the big cities. And finally, I'd make my way back uh, as I had walked through uh, to, uh, uh, to the police station, which was a very small building at the time. Didn't have need to be really big because they didn't really have any criminals to lock up. And I would see the police chief coming out around three in the afternoon with his giant bucket to walk around and empty each of the parking meters on Main Street, which only had pennies in them. And once you got a big bucket full of pennies, it's actually pretty heavy. But uh, that, was, that was one of his main duties. And being the police chief, he chose to do that rather than to assign that to a junior officer. And uh, getting back to the, uh, my father's furniture store, I, I, if it was summer, uh, as I returned, it was a, a good bit of waiting uh, for anything. Customers to come in, uh, cars to drive by. As I said before, you know, Main Street uh, was one way and dogs slept in the left lane. So there's just a little chance to share a visit with you uh, on some of the things about my town as I remember. I don't know if there are any towns like that anymore, it seems like. Uh, all the little towns, businesses have closed down and everybody goes to Walmart and uh, there's just not reason for people to, to try to shop in a small community like that. But it's a shame because experiencing a small town that's thrive, that really thrives, even in a poor community, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, it felt like there was stuff going on on a Saturday. You were glad to be out there on a sunny day and to watch everybody and even the dogs uh, getting up every now and then when a car would, in fact, try to drive where they were and have to honk at them. So thanks a lot for joining me on this visit. As always, it's great to talk to you and hope to speak to you again soon. And be careful and uh, stay safe.